So last week uh, I looked at um, the idea that uh, really as followers of Jesus, we want to have a developing and a strong vision of the kingdom of God as the alternative reality to the fallen world around us. Uh, and that's absolutely central. That's something that uh, we want to restore to the church is a deep confidence in the kingdom of God as the solution to anything that the world is facing, that the kingdom of God, and, uh, and restore some confidence in that. I think we've lost a bit of confidence around, uh, around the kingdom of God, and therefore the only place you can turn if you've lost confidence in the kingdom of God is political processes and powers, which is uh, very seductive, and, it's, uh, and it is a principality and power that would seek to, uh, to ask for our allegiance. But our allegiance is to Jesus, who is the Lord, who's the King of Kings. He's above all the other staff. And it's in his kingdom, his rule and reign, that we choose to give our energy. Uh, that's where our hope lies. And so we have, uh, I want to call us back to that. Uh, I want to call us to a unity amongst our diversity of opinion politically. We are not unified in a, just a total you know, clarity amongst the church around this is the way to vote. I'm going to talk a lot more about that today. Uh, our unity is in Jesus Christ, hallelujah. And we can be from different backgrounds, Jews and Greeks and, uh, and different cultures and different worldviews and different political opinions, but we are unified in Jesus, hallelujah. And it's actually meant to be a witness to the world that we can have a real diversity of opinion, but we can be unified in Jesus. Uh, so therefore, we've got to work out what are the things that we would break unity on as followers of Jesus. And like I said last uh, week, I would contend that is the creeds, both the Apostles and Nicene Creed and the Sermon on the Mount are some of the, the filters in which we say, you know, I think we need to have a chat, mate, in terms of, you know, these are, there's not... It's not how we do things around here in the body of Christ or whatever it may be. And lastly, a, a civility and, and good manners, and uh, generally in good manners around how we communicate our perspectives uh, in whatever forum that would be. I would suggest that that should primarily be in the context of communication directly with folks rather than just into the swirl of social media stuff, but in any way that we choose to do it, that would have good manners. I want to start this week by reinforcing a little bit my point from last week and then dive into two other themes connected to this. Um, but if you've got your Bibles, it will be on the screens. Matthew 22, Jesus is constantly in this kind of, he's in a political space um, and there's views on different things here. So let's just have a look at this passage here. Uh, Jesus, then the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap him in his words. They sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. Teacher, they said, we know that you are a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. Tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, you hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. They bought him a denarius. And he asked, in whose image is this? In whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then he said to them, so give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. When they heard this, they were amazed, so they left him and went away. So just so you know what's happening in terms of some context here, so you've got two groups of people that approach Jesus. You've got the Pharisees. Now, we love picking on the Pharisees because Jesus loved picking on the Pharisees, and one of the nastiest things you can think about or say about another Christian is that they are a Pharisee. Uh, but the Pharisees were actually like, 
They, they were a bit more hardcore than the Herodians who also turned up to have a chat with Jesus. The Pharisees were like, we've got to overthrow this, this government. We need to overthrow this government because it's, you know, and we've got to do everything we can to sabotage this whole, uh, whole thing. And so they were opposed to paying taxes to Rome just full stop. Uh, but the Herodians, they were this group uh, within the Jewish community that were like, nah, it's okay, let's just chill a little bit, guys, and that's okay to pay taxes uh, to, to Rome. Like, let's just not worry about it so much. And so you've got the Herodians who are in favour of paying taxes to Rome and the Pharisees who are against paying taxes. So you've got one anti-tax, one pro-tax, and they ask the question, is it right to pay this tax to Caesar or not? And so they're saying, Jesus, what party are you in? favor of? Are you in favor of the anti-tax party of the Pharisees or the pro-tax party of the Herodians? So are you for us or are you for them? Which is like what's happening in the world today, right? Are you like in the political space, Christian or not, there's this like, if you're not with me, you're against me, right? There's a huge amount of division going on. And so Jesus says to them, so give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God's what is God's. In other words, don't try and squeeze God into your little political boxes. You can't place God on your right or left of the political spectrum in all your particular ways of dividing up the world because God doesn't fit in that sort of space. Rich Nathan says it like this. God is neither a Republican nor a Democrat. God is not a socialist, a capitalist, a communist, or a nationalist. All of these labels are modern political categories that are utterly foreign to the forms of government found in the Old Testament. Uh, so in the Old Testament, you've got a theocracy, and in the New Testament, an empire. Christians have both thrived and struggled under all forms of government, and no political party supports all of the priorities that a thoughtful biblical Christian should hold. So Jesus is just kind of navigating this world where everyone's trying to say, oh, let's, let's make it about us and them. And Jesus just refuses to go there to the point where he invites his disciples, like some of his disciples are at extreme ends of the political spectrum of the day. You've got uh, Matthew, a tax collector. He's not just a Herodian. He's gone so far as to be like, I'm going to tax you. And you know what the tax collectors could do? They could take a little bit of extra for them. And you couldn't do anything about it because they had the Roman Empire behind them willing to like go there and, and kick your face in if you didn't pay your taxes. So like they had sold out so far it was ridiculous. Then you had Simon the Zealot. He's what you'd call a terrorist or a freedom fighter depending on your perspective. One person's freedom fighters, another person's terrorist, right? So you've got him. So his idea is like we've got to just, we've got to plant some bombs and we've got to like just by force take down the government, let's arm ourselves. And so in Jesus' discipleship group, you've got the extremes going on here. And Jesus just never gets sucked into, so which side are you on, Jesus? He's just above it all the time and calls us to as well. As I've said last week, his kingdom is not of this world, which means that it's, it's just above all the, the, the stuff we get sucked into so easily. And so, this, so as the early church looked at Jesus' teaching on how to engage with uh, government, uh, it was very formative for them, where they... Uh, and, and they're under enormous persecution and pressure. 
Uh, Rowan Williams, the previous Archbishop of Canterbury, says it like this. These Christians, most of them probably domestic slaves, had to explain to the magistrate when they got arrested that they were quite happy to pray for the imperial state and even to pay taxes, but they could not grant the state their absolute allegiance. They had another loyalty, which did not mean that they wished to overthrow the administration, but that they would not comply with the state's demands in certain respects. They would not worship the emperor, and as we know from some other early texts, they refused to serve in the Roman army. So, so the, for these guys that, that come to faith in Jesus, and as Rowan Williams points out, most of them slaves that have found this new family and communi- community in the church, uh, they're like, okay, you know, <laughs> we're prepared to go to a certain point, but there's certain things we're just not prepared to do, which is important for Christians to work out. There's certain lines that we're going to draw and one of them is worship. We aren't going to say that Caesar is Lord because Jesus is Lord for us. And that of, through you know, of pain of death, we will declare that Jesus is Lord. And secondly, we are the people of peace, not war. So we refuse to enter into your, into your military uh, conquests and all that sort of thing, which again would probably result in their execution. Um, but uh, the, the, they were unprepared to go down to, into that space where, um, where it became about a political thing. It was about the kingdom of God and Jesus as Lord. Now, that's not to say the Bible doesn't uh, call us and, and at times critique governmental leadership. The whole book of Revelation is a critique of the empire. Um, and uh, a sign of a healthy democracy is that we can do that. And I would argue that uh, a thoughtful, biblically informed Christian will be able to gently and wisely critique across the political spectrum. Across the political spectrum. Um, uh, done rightly through the right channels after having read Frank Ritchie's article on civility and public discourse, uh, you know, then we are like, okay, you know, it's, I think it's, it's healthy and it's right. And I think the Christian, as Christians, we are called to be a voice uh, for values that matter to us. But uh, I think those narrow, those values have got pretty narrow. And so I'm going to talk about some values I think are very biblical. Um, but yes, we're, but, but not just to be a voice, but to, to be a prophetic voice by demonstrating the alternative reality. That's where we've got to reclaim some ground. We don't just have a prophetic voice in terms of what we say online. We have a prophetic voice around our actions to care and love for the least, the last, and the lost. Um, and so... Uh, Rich Nathan, I've talked about him a lot. I need to show you a photo of him at some point, but anyway, whatever. Um, he's just an amazing, um, very inspired by his leadership in the States. Because talk about Minefield Central, right? I mean, crikey, I'm, I'm a little bit nervous about this series in New Zealand. Thank you, Jesus, you called me to minister in New Zealand, not over there. Like That was just all kinds of pressure on pastors. Um, and he leads an, an inc- uh, just in a very inspiring church, and inspiring for me for many reasons. One of them is that it's a very diverse church uh, that reflects the ethnic makeup of his community, <laughs> which I think is healthy. So there's a whole lot going on here that's... Um, oh, can you not put that up yet? Sorry, everyone's, I'm like, why is everyone reading that? That's, go back, back, back a slide, back a slide, back, Roman Williams, good. Um, so he's got so there's eight thousand people in his church. Not a little church, big church, uh, and very diverse. Uh, in, I've got enormous respect for him. And recently he preached a sermon because he just goes there. I love it. He goes to the tricky, controversial subjects. So he wrote a he preached a sermon called "How Should the Evangelical Church Respond to the Murder of George Floyd?" Well worth watching. 
brilliant, biblically just solid um, and it's stunning. I thought it was brilliant. And he critiqued President Trump and he received a whole bunch of feedback. Um, and, uh, and they were saying, like, it's wrong for you to critique the president. Uh, we should support and pray for the president, not critique him. And, uh, and so Rich Nathan responded the following week with a letter where he said, you know, um, I have preached 1,600 messages in this church. He's been there for 40 years. And he says, in those 40 years, I've publicly critiqued the president by name exactly five times. Uh, once was President Clinton, twice he, he critiqued uh, President Obama for his support of abortion, twice he criticised President Trump, once for his comments regarding the Charlottesville protests and once in this very message. So in 40 years of preaching, he critiqued, but it wasn't like he critiqued just one particular party. He critiqued both the Republican and Democrat uh, presidents. And so he responded with this. He said, I asked several letter writers, are you opposed to critiquing the president as a matter of principle? In other words, when friends of yours critique President Obama in your presence, or when I did in my past sermons, did you object and say we should not critique the president, instead we should support him? If you did, although I disagree with your perspective, I respect you. That's a principled stand. On the other hand, if your critique is only wrong when it is of President Trump and not of President Obama, then your objection is just partisanship. We cannot go down that road of partisanship where it's like we are blind to support only one party. I don't care what it is. And I would contend that if, uh, if we want to do this well as followers of Jesus, when we're starting looking at what do we critique as followers of Jesus, we have to be able to critique across the board. We have to be able to critique National and Judith Collins and Labour and Jacinda Ardern and David Seymour from ACT and, and Winston Peters from New Zealand. Whatever it may be, we should be able to look at it and to say, we can, I'm not going to get bugged you know, if people just critique this person here because I don't know, we critique across the board. That's what thoughtful Christians will do. As Going back to our, with civility, with, with having wrestled with the stuff and really engaged with it, with being, I think you have no right to say something unless you're actually part of the solution as well, trying to actively do some stuff. I'm going to be talking about that, and that, that may be a little too strong, and I may push back on that myself. I'm arguing with myself even now. No, at times I think it's probably all right to probably just voice your critique, even if you're not, because some things you just got to say. But anyway, whatever. Um, Oh dear. <laughs> but ultimately, I've said this a whole lot of times, our hope and our allegiance is not the government, it's Jesus. And the minute we get too stewed up, like disproportionately stewed up, I start thinking, oh guys, our primary energy isn't meant to be focused on building some political persuasion and focus. It's the kingdom of God. It's the kingdom of God. Let's never lose sight of that. Let's keep encouraging each other to like, it's okay. You know, and in fact, the question is, I would argue that the thing that bugs you is your calling. Like sometimes it's like, oh man, I just that's not right. Normally that's God's wanting to stir something in you to say, that's how I want to use you to bring healing into this land. And you can't do that in isolation. You have to do that in community. And so let's work out what we could do with God's power to bring life and healing to, to those that are in vulnerable places. I've said this a few times. I did not sign up to be part of a political lobby group. 
are signed up to be part of the alternative community of faith. We have Jesus as Lord and who see the kingdom advance through his power as weak people get treasure that put in jars of clay. We go out and we say, Jesus is Lord, friends. He's come into the world and he's redeeming and renewing and restoring all things. And we're a community caught up in that story of redemption and transformation and renewal. That's what I signed up for. So that's my opening rant. Point one is this. Uh, In the midst of this, in the context of the kingdom, we do need enormous wisdom as we navigate these times. We need wisdom. Oh, we need wisdom. The church needs wisdom. Followers of Jesus, we need wisdom. There is so much swirling around right now. Uh, It's just insane. Like, it's the perfect storm of just access to so much. You know, back in the day, if something happened, like I'm talking 100 years ago, if something happened at the top of New Zealand, it would take about a week for you to find out. If something happened across the other side of the world, it might take a couple of months. And yet right now, we could probably tune into any country in the world and in real time find out the worst of what's happening in the world right now. I mean, there's so much stuff swirling around. And I've heard, um, you know, uh, the word agenda gets used a lot. Have you anyone heard that? You know, it's like this agenda. Um, And I'm like, of course there's agendas. Every political party has an agenda. Guess what? Business people have an agenda. The wealthy in this country have an agenda. What do they want to do? Keep their money and make some more, right? There's agendas everywhere. And so you've got like media who have got an agenda, you know, and that, I don't know, there's definitely a left-leaning thing in the media, no doubt. But you know the primary agenda of the media? Make money. It's revenue. So like what clickbait can we put in front of you so that we can stick as many ads in front of you? Of course there's agendas. But is anyone else already feeling like throwing up? It's just like we live in this like going on the whole time. And it's super overwhelming. And then it's like we've got to work out what's true and what's half a truth and what's quarter of a truth and what's an outright lie. And people are saying that's a lie and other people are saying that's a lie. And it's like, what do you do? I read CNN and Fox News almost every day. And I'm reading articles from the same issue from such different positions. It's like it leaves you cross-eyed at the end of it. I'm like, I don't know. Crikey, what's going on here? It's so full on. We need wisdom. We need so much wisdom. I've been uh, uh, reading um, intentionally as part of preparation for this, just working my way through the Proverbs. You know, like, if if there's uh, anything I think God wants to hear from his church at this time, it's a cry for wisdom. It's a cry, Lord, give us wisdom. Give us wisdom. Um, it's more, it's nothing you, can, you desire can compare to wisdom, according to the Proverbs. Her paths are peace. What a great line. Wisdom, uh, uh, by wisdom the Lord laid the earth's foundations. Blah, blah. Wisdom builds something strong and beautiful. Um, uh, verse, uh, Proverbs 8, verse 11, for wisdom is more precious than rubies and nothing you desire can compare to her. Verse 17, those who seek me, wisdom will find me. I, I was reading in Bible in a year, a couple of days ago, I think it was on Friday, and one of the Proverbs, which was really encouraging as I prepared my talk, said this, do not speak to fools for they will scorn your prudent words. I was like, oh no, <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Lord, is that, that's not based 
vineyard, is it? <laughs> James 3, 13 to 17 says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by his deeds done in humility that, come from, that comes from wisdom. So the marks of wisdom are people that walk in humility and don't just talk about things but do good deeds. Um, so I just want to give you a couple ideas about how we can have some wisdom or grow in wisdom uh, and, uh, in this, this day and age. Firstly, we can, certainly in this political climate and we're going to election season and there's all sorts of stuff going on in the world with COVID and all that. So we can have wisdom by being careful and intentional about what we feed ourselves. We can, be, we, can have, we can grow in wisdom by being wise about what we feed ourselves. You're getting fed something. It's, is it the voices you want? Are, the, are they wise voices to help shape your opinion? Especially with social media. Social media algorithms are set up to feed you what will hold your attention. Uh, it, it creates uh, what we call an echo chamber sometimes where it's like you have a particular view and because... Uh, the algorithms have seen you looking at those views, it will just feed you stuff that keep reinforcing your views, even if they may not be entirely on the money. Right? So it's like, it's full on. Now, can I just plug this, which I don't think I've done before. I want to plug a documentary on Netflix um, called uh, The Social Dilemma. Um, And this is a must-watch for every parent that wants to, to look after their children and be very aware of the world they're growing up on in terms of how... Uh, manipulated we can become through this. Um, and um, I've emailed all of our home church leaders and said, if you've run out of material to use for this term, I think watching this as a community and then having a discussion is super important. I think followers of Jesus need to be, you know, there's a lot of um, talk about, um, you know, conspiracy theories and all this sort of stuff. There's no doubt in my mind that the biggest uh, uh, attack going on in the world today is via this particular, uh, through, through our social media and how we are manipulated through this whole thing. It is truly a, a, a legitimate um, uh, concern and it should be for all of us. Uh, and, and we do not know how much our worldview has been shaped by this manipulation. That's the, it's a blind spot, and a blind spot literally you can't see uh, where you know where that glaring thing is there. And so I would I'll definitely recommend this um, because I think it's enlightening. And then the conversation is so therefore, therefore, as followers of Jesus, how do we respond? How do we live? And I would contend uh, that we need to really limit uh, how much we engage with this sort of stuff. Um, what I've done uh, just. Uh, a number of years ago, um, we, we realized, me and Jim were like, man, we just feel uncomfortable. Because I've been speaking at camps all my life. And, you know, like when Facebook first came out, you meet any random at a camp and you're Facebook friends straight away. And so I was speaking at camps all over the show. So I'd like, I think, between 1,000 or 1,500 friends, in inverted commas, uh, on my private Facebook thing. And then Jim one day was like, I just feel so uncomfortable about the fact these people we don't even know are watching our kids grow up and watching, like, things about our family. Like, these people, and she was, you know, and she's saying, I think we need to think about this. So she's got off it completely, and about six, six years ago or so, I did the greatest cull of all time. Now, this is Jen's unbearable feeling, but I was like, you're not my friend anymore. Hotcha, hotcha. And I went from, like, 1,500 to 200 uh, in one hit. And then it was like... I posted something that said, if you what if you can see this, you've survived the greatest cull in Facebook's history. <laughs> Welcome to the circle of trust, you're in it. Um, and, uh, and, and since then, I've just, um, uh, I, I very rarely friend anyone. And again, I'm so 
sorry if anyone's feeling offended if we're not Facebook friends, uh, because it's just, it's too, and if we are friends, I don't follow you. I unfollow immediately. All, all that I want on my newsfeed is home theater information. That's all I'm interested in. Uh, and, right, Jen? I mean, it's, all, it's home theater information and Dallas Willard and Bible, and a few kind of Christian things I'm interested in in terms of groups. And the Bay Vineyard one, that's all I'm interested in. And it's like, oh, it's just, my Facebook is so boring. It's, well, I don't think it's awesome, actually. There's a home theater in Dallas Willard. It's like, what do you want? Um, but I'm just telling you, we need to be very, very careful about, uh, about what we are feeding ourselves with because there's getting, there's a, um, Jesus said you've got to judge this stuff by its fruit. And I would say that the fruit for most of this stuff is increasing division in the world and an increasing us and them, Herodians or Pharisees, which one is it? It's increasing division. And I want to have the sort of fruit in my life that leads to unity and peace. Unity amongst the brothers and sisters of Christ and a peace in my own soul. I just, I don't want to be, I don't want to be, this stuff will generate fear. It will generate all sorts of anxiety. Um, and it's, uh, the fruit's just terrible. <laughs> and I'm like, what, are, like, I just I'm envy my parents that they didn't grow up with this stuff. It was, it's just unnatural, and it's the biggest thing that's hit our generation. We have followers of Jesus going to be very onto it, very wise around all of this stuff. Um, it's interesting, the acts of the flesh in Galatians 5 include discord, dissensions, factions, right? The, the acts of the flesh, the fruit of the Spirit, kindness, gentleness, self-control. I mean, this is the stuff that we want to... Um, we, we want to be feeding ourselves with. And so as we kind of deal with this side of things and that we're aware that whatever our political leanings are will be reinforced rather than being challenged on, on that sort of space, it's going to feed you what you the way you lean because it wants to hold your attention or it will outrage you with something from the opposition. It will outrage you. Anything to keep your attention. Anyway, uh, so therefore we need to, uh, secondly, if we want to grow in wisdom, is that we, we want to um, wisely choose voices of authority in our lives. Voices of authority in our lives. I was listening to an interview with the CEO of New Zealand Rugby, Mark Robinson, randomly on uh, News Talk ZB this week. Um, <laughs> that's how old I am. <laughs> National Radio or News Talk ZB, that's uh, my choice in the car these days. And only then for short doses because I get too annoyed and have to turn it off and, uh, and get back into this because otherwise I'll work out again. Um, I listen to this great, and, and Mark Robinson, and you know, like the media are trying to get a reaction, right? So it's like asking Mark Robinson, do you think it was the right call to move the test to the, uh, Australia where they have to go to play a whole bunch of games? And he said these words, I am not an expert on that space. And I'm driving along, and I'm like, those, one, two, three, four, five words are like epic. Those five words are wise words. Mark Robinson is not an expert at epidemiology. And so he says, I am not an expert. I will let them inform us around what's best for our players and all the rest of it. But he's an expert at leading an organisation that deals with rugby, oval ball, bunch of guys getting paid lots of money to run into each other. And it's like, that's his sweet spot. I am not an expert. Oh man, what a great line. Let's memorize that. And rather than think that we're experts, let's be honest and say, I am not an expert. 
And so the Bible is clear about the call to submit ourselves to leadership and to authority. And so this is a, a lost art, but it's, it's unwise to not have this perspective. I think it's biblically it's wise to say there are people of authority in my life that I have faith in. Now, faith is simply I trust them. We have faith in lots of people. You've got faith in the chair that you're sitting on right now is not going to collapse under your weight, right? Sometimes some of us are a little nervous about that, but you can trust the engineering. I have faith that the people that built my car to get here, that brakes would work. You know, I have blah, blah, blah. Now, worship is reserved for Jesus, for God alone. But we have faith in lots of... Now, the question is, is are they wise people that you're putting your faith into or not? Uh, Proverbs 10, verse 8, The wise in heart accept commands, but a chattering fool comes to ruin. Jesus himself, uh, sorry, when uh, the centurion saw Jesus, he said, for I myself am a man under authority. So when the centurion saw Jesus, he saw someone submitted to authority, his heavenly father. John 5, 19, Jesus says, I tell you, the son does nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son also does. Jesus submitted himself to the authority of his heavenly father. It's a biblical thing to have to have some humble submission to those who are in authority in certain fields. And so here's some suggestions around how you can have some wise voices. And you may already have some of this stuff in play, but here's what I want to say. Uh, that um, Next slide, please. Having uh, theologically trained New Testament scholars are more helpful in terms of shaping your theology than people that come via TV. Now, I had, some, I had some pictures that I've chosen not to put up there of some TV evangelists, tell you evangelists, but I'm like, you can choose how you want to have your, your theology shaped. Personally, I think it's wiser to submit yourself to New Testament scholars than to some tele evangelists in terms of how you form your faith, your worldview, your theology. Uh, I saw this on Twitter the other day. A guy studies three years for a degree, three more for a PhD, joins a lab, starts working, spends years studying a problem, forms a hypothesis, gathers evidence, tests hypothesis, forms conclusion, report findings, clear peer review, publish findings, reported and pressed, guy on internet, BS. That's the, world, that's the world we live in, you know? It's the world we live in. Um, and I can't just say for the record, I, science, I, I think science is so beautiful and so complementary to theology, the pursuit of truth. Science answers different questions than faith and theology will answer. Um, science answers, answers the questions of how, perhaps um, the origins of life maybe, but my faith will answer the questions of the purpose of life. Science looks at what is, and my faith summons me to a life the way it should be, calls me to something. Science engages with when and what, my faith engages with who and why. The, the pursuit, and ultimately it's the pursuit of truth. And so when it comes to shaping uh, our uh, opinions, there, there, uh, there should be degrees of weight given to different things. Degrees of weight uh, to different people and to different things. Um, Peer-reviewed scientific papers should carry some more weight than um, some random article on whatever. At the same time, uh, a lot of people um, are very anti-the media, but they're more accountable than someone on YouTube. Right, so it's like writing for a, a newspaper that's, you know, there's more accountability than someone on YouTube. That's just the reality. Um, and certainly when it comes to long form written uh, investigative journalism pieces, 
that aren't just clickbait, um, there's, there's a bit more weight there than other articles that are just clickbait, you know, they're trying to get your attention. Um, but the reality is you're getting your worldview shaped by people, so you've got to pick wisely who they are. Uh, anyone can make a convincing YouTube video these days, so we need wisdom. What you feed yourself really matters, and in this room there'll be a hundred different views because of cultural background, childhood experiences, degrees of privilege, which is a blind spot for most of us, education levels, predominant church background experience, all of that stuff will feed uh, uh, and inform who we want to trust or not, but we're all getting formed some way, so let's pick wisely, amen? I know that we're, we're, we're talking about stuff here that's super sensitive, but let's just go there and talk about it. As I said last Sunday, if we can't talk about it, it's unhealthy. And, and that's when principalities and powers and strongholds can take place within. I'm like, let's just talk about it. And the conversation we need to have is like, can we, is this worth trusting and putting our faith in or not? Should we put a, you know, and, uh, and, and that's the discussion in community that can be helpful about wrestling with certain things. That social dilemma stuff, they're probably, you know, again, not a Christian perspective. Stuff I'm like, okay, you know. It's not, it's not gospel, it's helpful. So I think as a community, we should have a discussion about those sorts of things. All right? All right, here we go. Let's keep on moving, and then, um, and then we'll see where we go. <laughs> and here we go. Let's get into the nitty-gritty. And we're really going to hit the nitty-gritty next two Sundays as well with um, abortion and end-of-life stuff. Let's get into the nitty-gritty. So as we seek to walk in wisdom, and as we hold on to the reality that it's the kingdom of God first, we seek that first, what are the values that should inform us as we seek about how we engage with voting? Um, that we are aware with, uh, with as we go into polling booths. With, of course, the, uh, the full awareness that there is a massive limitation to what a law can do and what a government can do. It cannot soften a human heart. Listen to this in Galatians 3 verse 21. For if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. The Old Testament is just a great case study in the fact that you can stick laws on people and the human heart will not change. And Jesus comes and the, pretty much the theme of the Sermon on the Mount is, is God wants your heart, not just your good behavior, doing the right thing. And so we've got to keep that in mind. But... Uh, but there are laws and policies that uh, are good for society, we would believe as followers of Jesus, that are helpful because we want human flourishing in New Zealand. Amen? And everyone that votes is voting with that idea in mind as well for the most part, like whether you're Christian or not, that there's, uh, there is human flourishing is what we all want. Um, so I just want to quote uh, from this little compend, uh, compendium of social doctrine by the Vatican, <clears throat> uh, which is the Catholic social teaching which deals with the questions concerning life and society. Yeah, I've always wanted to quote this in a sermon, so here we go. This is helpful. A choice must be made that is consistent with values, taking into, into account actual circumstances. So I like that. So we must make a choice that's consistent with our values, taking into account actual circumstances right now. So that, I'm going to talk a lot more about this next week. Public policy is actually different than Christian ethics. And we can be smart around public policy that help push towards our ideal of a Christian ethic, but sometimes we have to take into account the actual situation. Okay, 
So in every case, whatever choice is made, it must be rooted in charity and tend towards the attainment of the common good. It is difficult for the concerns of the Christian faith to be adequately met in one sole political entity. To claim that one party or political coalition responds completely to the demands of faith or of Christian life would give rise to dangerous errors. Christians cannot find one party that fully corresponds to the ethical demands arising from faith and from membership in the church. Their adherence to a political alliance will never be ideological, but always critical. In this way, the party and its political platform will be uh, be prompted to be ever more conscientious in attaining the true common good, including the spiritual end of the human person. So there's some... I think that's a helpful framework to go, okay, we want our values here. That So let's have a look at, uh, at some of the values I, I think are put. Now, these are important to me. So I'm like not trying to preach that this is, should be your values. You, everyone's going to form this stuff. But I think it's important that we are formed in what these values are and that we vote uh, in, in that sort of way, okay? Unless you want to go Mennonite and a Baptist, sweet as, God bless you. Um, but I'll, just for the record, I think it's important you vote. But you can't box a Christian. It's, it's not the Herodians or the Pharisees. And here's the thing, it's, and, you, and the left and right thing. I think Christians ultimately are people that are conservative on moral issues and ethical issues and sex, issues of sexuality and liberal when it comes to care for the poor, care for those that are on the margins, uh, care for the environment, etc. So, um, so for me, there's some a bunch of values um, that are important. Firstly, of course, moral things. Um, uh, we have a, a, an ideal around what we think is best for human flourishing, as informed by the scriptures. And uh, but we live in a society that does not uh, follow. Um, uh, uh, you know, we are demanding often Christian ethics from people who are not Christ followers and biblical morality from people who don't follow the Bible, which is why we all get very upset, (laughs) right? And I think our secular governments, for the most part, are doing their best outside of a Christian worldview to create a loving, respectful, and stable society. But we should not expect that they will approach moral and ethical uh, uh, topics from a biblical perspective. So that's why amongst Christians, it's like, let's really talk and get clear about what our positions are on some of these things, um, but then when we go to have a chat with the guy at the pub, get a lot smarter about how we communicate our particular perspective, starting from the fact that we're playing volleyball over here with Christian ethics and they're playing soccer. They're not even on the same field as us when it comes to, to their view around how we should shape morality and ethical decisions. So, uh, but, but still, if we do it gently and wisely, I think we should be calling people to human flourishing and saying this is the way of human flourishing. Uh, this is the way that you could, and we can point statistically to the damage that's done when, uh, when uh, people choose to, to follow their own selfish desires. But then also we must, in every conversation like that, remember where we have fallen short of the Christian ethic and have the same humility and grace as we have conversations. We have a lot of uh, strong opinions, for example, about the abortion um, legislation, which I'm going to talk about next week. And most of the people that have very strong opinions about it haven't had an abortion. But, uh, but it's interesting when I start talking about divorce or when I talk about sex before marriage, all of a sudden there's a lot more grace for people in society 
because many followers of Jesus, I'm going to ask for a show of hands, not joking, <laughs> have had sex before marriage or have experienced the horrific pain of a divorce. And so we're very good with the pastoral care and the theology of care, and, and, and we rightly should be. That should be what we're known for. But, uh, but let's keep this in mind when we talk about these moral issues. Now, Jesus says, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves, therefore be shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Get clever. Get wise, get smart about how we communicate this so that Jesus is glorified. So obviously amongst these moral issues, we're talking definitely about things like the sanctity of life. The Christian ethical position is from the womb to the tomb. It is God's, that's God's domain. That's God's domain, not ours. And uh, we're going to talk about this next week. Uh, uh, obviously the next two Sundays, we're going to talk about the womb. We're going to talk about the tomb. And... Um, and uh, Frank Ritchie, who I interviewed this week, um, gave some helpful uh, ideas and his opinion around whether being a Christian in terms of a single issue voter. So just going, the abortion legislation is the only issue I will vote uh, for, whether that's wise or not. And again, I have done a lot of work on this, and we'll talk about this a little bit next week. I can understand both sides of the perspective. Uh, and you have to make the choice. There's no choice that doesn't cost you. So if you choose to be a single-issue voter, then I'm going to talk about a whole bunch of other issues that you are saying aren't as important for you. And that's okay, as long as we're aware of that being the choice. Um, but those, that is important. It's hugely important. And, uh, and again, I'm going to do a whole sermon on that next week, so I don't want to go into it today. But the biblical vision for humanity and the call for Christians is far wider and has more scope and is more engaging, engaging than just the family issues in inverted commas. For example, uh, one of the values I think Christians should hold closely is, uh, is of environmental care. Genesis 1, 26 to 28, when, we are, when, when God uh, commissioned us, his first commission was for us to care for the earth, to care for this planet. Um, and, uh, and the Pope's written this great thing on the care of our common home. What a great line. On the, com- on the care for our, of our common home, calling Catholics to care for the environment. I think it's deep within the genetic makeup, within the DNA of every human to actually know we are called to steward and care for the environment. Now, one of the things within uh, Christians is that um, sometimes we have an eschatology, so a view of end times that thinks Jesus could be coming back any minute. This is just not something that should be a priority. And um, I, again, I can appreciate where that's coming from. You'll notice in the epistles, they, um, they often say, you know, as we wait for the day of the Lord approaching any day now, <laughs> 2,000 years ago, any day now, any day now, uh, you know. So here's my perspective, and we're not going to go there. Every single topic's got a sermon in it. But um, my perspective is uh, it doesn't matter what your um, eschatology is in terms of what you think God's, you know. Ultimately, we come down to this. Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again in glory. Hallelujah. That's everyone's eschatology in terms of the creeds. My perspective in terms of wise lifestyle is this. We should behave like it could be thousands of years before Jesus returns and simultaneously behave like he could come back tomorrow, both. So, we, so when it comes to things like environmental concern, if Jesus chooses to come back in thousands of years from now, I want to leave the planet in a good space for my children and my great-grandchildren. So I want to care for the environment. I think Christians and churches are called to care for the environment as part of our calling in Genesis 1. But at the same time, when it comes to behavior and morals and, and whether I do something naughty today or not, he could come back tomorrow. When it, when it comes to sharing my faith and telling people that Jesus is Lord, there's an urgency. He could come 
back tomorrow. I want you to know. Does that make sense? This has, it's both and. It doesn't have to be either or, okay? Uh, so secondly, uh, so firstly, the environment. Secondly, uh, I'm going to rip through some of these. Care for the foreigner. The second most repeated commandment in the Old Testament is how we care for the foreigner. So do not oppress the foreigner. You, you, not, you yourselves know how it feels to be foreigners because you're foreigners in Egypt. This is Exodus 23 verse 9. Um, Leviticus 19.34, um, the foreigners residing among you must be treated as native-born. Love them as yourself, for you were foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Matthew 25 verse 35, Jesus says, I was a stranger and you invited me in. So, uh, you know, when it comes to picking a person to vote for, a party to vote from, like, how are you going to care for those that are hurting and suffering overseas? How is the the New Zealand Agency for International Development going to be funded so that we can care for those that are struggling and hurting? But what about New Zealand? We care for the foreigners as well. What about both? What about both? We both care for those that are at home and we care for those that, and I'm not talking about open borders here, but there's surely as followers of Jesus, we should be lobbying for more than just 1,000 refugees coming to New Zealand when the world's in the pain that it is. Why would we say you can't come to this country? Only a thousand of you can come and only if you meet certain criteria. So no, this is a bit, the second most commanded thing in the Old Testament to the Israelite people. Care for the foreigner. Ooh, okay, keep moving, Harvey. Uh, obviously, the care for the poor. Matthew 25 should be ringing in our ears as we vote. The care for the least fortunate. 1 John 13, 17 to 18 says, If anyone has a material possession and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with just with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. So, so when it comes to things like welfare, when it comes to uh, education, housing, I want to be biased towards the poor in our, in our nation in terms of who I want in power. I want to be biased. I think God has always been biased towards the poor. And, and I've heard lots of opinions about why people are poor. And it's like, and most of those opinions come from people that haven't spent time with people that are poor in our communities, who don't understand the complexity of the struggle and often generations of brokenness. That, that it is not just black and white. When it comes to dealing with poverty, it is rocket science. It is rocket science. It's deeply complex. Um, let me keep moving quickly. The treaty is important for me when I go to the polling booths. And I think it should be for, for those that uh, are biblically informed Christians. There was a covenant that was made between Māori um, and Pākehā in this country, and it was brokered by the church. And it subsequently got pretty trashed almost immediately. <laughs> and so I, when it comes to treaty issues, that's a big deal for me. I want to I see healing in our nation, and I want uh, to have political parties that take that seriously. The issue of peace is important for me as a value. Uh, I'm like, I want governments that are anti-war. <laughs> Jesus came to bring peace. The early church refused to go in the army. Like, even when it comes to just war and Augustinian's theory of just war, it's like, it's still just war where people get murdered and slaughtered and it's horrific. 
And so while that's not a major issue in New Zealand, it's, it's central to the Sermon on the Mount and should inform our voting. Uh, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they'll be called sons of God. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. And lastly, things like COVID, that's going to inform my uh, vote this year. I'm a hand-on-heart and undecided voter, so I'm preaching all of these values. I do not know where I'm going to vote this year, and I'm no way going to tell you who you should vote for this year. You're going to work out what the values are, and then we must vote accordingly. But thankfully... Our hope is not in the political party. As I've said a million times, it's in the kingdom of God. Let me finish with this and then we're going to crash land. Christians, this is from Michael W. Austin, a moral philosopher in Eastern Kentucky University. Christians must follow their conscience as Romans 14 describes. That conscience, in terms of voting, should be informed by the Holy Spirit, Scripture, reason, and wise voices in the church. And we have to accept that followers of Jesus vote differently as they seek to be faithful to him. Vote wisely, but without expecting it to bring about what only God can bring about, his kingdom, which is not of this world, but that's who we're called to be a part of. Vote wisely, but not, don't let it divide you from others or cause it to harbor ill feeling in your heart to those who hold a different view from you. Vote wisely and never lose sight of the fact that God has always used ordinary people who aren't in power to bring about radical change. We are the body made up of different parts. So we're not overwhelmed with the scale of need around us because when the Holy Spirit fills us and we prioritize the local church, we can be the body of Christ with many different parts working together to bring about God's kingdom wherever he's planted us. Amen? That's where our hope lies. Let's stand together and pray.